It's so funny. I found this video of my very first time on as Elphaba. And I showed it to people and they're like, you better open that throat. I said, those are baby cords. She's gone and she used to be mine. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) My name's Quincy. My name's Kevin. And this is Sentimental Men. But keep your thumb away from that skip button. We're here to talk. And maybe scream. About our favorite women in musical theater. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Quincy, how are you today? I'm good. I kind of had a very slow day. I mean, obviously, I feel like I've been doing a whole bunch of nothing in quarantine, but today was definitely a very slow day. Mm -hmm. Kind of just lounged around, watched a bunch of Real Housewives. Sure, sure, sure. Living the dream. Stability in these uncertain times. Yes, unprecedented. But today, guys, we have... Well, Kevin, I want to let you introduce this guest. Okay, well, you're so much better at this, but I'll try. This incredible actress, this amazing singer, this iconic Alphaba has been in the companies of the first national tour of Wicked, the second national tour of Wicked, the Broadway company of Wicked, not to mention she was in the pre-Broadway, opening Broadway, and closing Broadway casts of Waitress. And most importantly, she was in the 2014 production of 9 to 5 the Musical at the Arts Center of Coastal Carolina, which featured me as Milton, the desk clerk. You know her, you love her. Her name is Stephanie Torrens, and we are so excited to have her on the podcast today. And here's the thing, Kevin, because you told me years ago that you had been in a production of 9 to 5 with Stephanie Torrens, where Stephanie played Judy Burnley as... As all Stephanies should. As all Stephanies should. And I feel like I immediately asked for the video of her get out and stay out, and I am still asking for that video because it has to exist. (laughs) It has to exist. I literally was thinking about that today because I will never forget the first like week she got up and sang get out and stay out like it was nothing i mean it was like the gay highlight of my year she's great i love stephanie torrens she is like a crystal clear pingy dream and literally was in waitress for its entire run including the boston run i feel like when you think jenna in waitress or at least when i think jenna in waitress i think jesse mueller and stephanie torrens i mean jenna is kind of stephanie's role is Stephanie Torrens kind of like the Jennifer DeNoya of Waitress? Oh, Kevin. Yeah, do you like that? <laughs> because yeah, Stephanie was understudy for Jenna because I don't think Waitress had standbys, correct? Uh, Waitress did not. And she was an understudy because she was in the ensemble as his wife at the end. As Francine Pometer? Yes. Pometer? Potomer. Pometer. I never know how to say Potomer? Potomer. Dr. Pometer. Dr. Pometer. If something bad is happening to the animals. Oh my God. (laughs) But yeah, so she was in Waitress forever, which is like impressive in and of itself. But then if you think about how many women she understudied in that role, those were big names. Because it did, I feel like towards the end, especially got kind of fast and furious with like who they were bringing in, who was leaving, who was coming in. I wonder if that was just them trying to figure out who would keep the show open. Which is always interesting to me because Waitress is a really solid show. So the fact that it maybe wasn't doing as well in the later years was always kind of surprising to me. I think it will go on to have a good like regional and college life. I can't wait to see who does it at the Muni. Who do you think it'll be at the Muni and who do you think it'll be at the Hollywood Bowl? Hollywood Bowl needs to be Laura Bell Bundy and we've discussed this. We have. I think Laura Bell Bundy is actually more likely for the Muni. Really? I think the Hollywood Bowl, it would be like Sarah Bareilles or somebody like her. Okay. 
I guess I just align Laura Bundy with more California now. I don't know why. I would just love to see Laura Bell in the role. Me too. Lindsay Mendez was another name that I really wanted to take over at some point. But yeah, so we're having Jenna Extraordinaire and Alphaba Extraordinaire, Stephanie Torrens on. In just a few minutes. Before she gets here, I think it's time for Stuck on SJB. That was a new melody this week. I didn't really love it. Just keep trying. I accidentally foreshadowed my Stuck on SJB to you because my Stuck on SJB is Stephanie Jeanette Block performing the role of Grizabella at the Muni in 2011. We sat like across the street when we saw the share show. So we know that nobody plays to the back of the house like Stephanie J. Block. Sure. But... That video of her singing Memory, I can't think of many things that are more impressive to me because Stephanie J. Block, future Tony winner at this point, and then 2011 was... She was getting ready to go into Anything Goes. Like, that was her next Broadway job, I think. Okay, yeah, 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 you're right. What was her last Broadway gig before Anything Goes? Was it Wicked? Nine to five? Nine to five. Okay, so it's 2011. Stephanie J. Block is in a fur coat, three pounds of clown white makeup, a synthetic wig, and she is in 90 degree heat playing to 11,000 people outside. This superstar is rolling on the floor, pawing at it like a fucking cat. And then she gets up and she sings that like, every dog. Like, you know how it's really low? And then up to the heavy side layer, touch me, it's so easy to leave me. I cannot believe the audacity. <laughs> I mean... And she was Stephanie J. Block at the time. Like She was Broadway Stephanie J. Block. I think Cats is an utterly ridiculous musical, and I love it so much. And I think that the absolute heightened performance given by Stephanie J. Block only serves to make it better. No, I have to go back and rewatch it because the thought of Stephanie like crawling in hunched over. Literally like pawing at the floor. I mean... Thank you, Kevin. That was a fantastic Stuck on SJB. I thought so too. I thought you were going to like it. Okay, I think it's time to get into our interview with Stephanie Torns. Stephanie, how are you? What are you up to? Not much. Yeah, same. You know, at first it was like I was thrilled. I haven't stopped in a long time. Yeah. But now it's just more like getting involved and doing a lot of like Zoom class. So like more things like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's all good. All good stuff. But yeah, thank you so much for being here. We're so excited. Tell us about when you first heard of Wicked, not as an actress when you were going to audition, but just Wicked the musical. Yeah, um, I actually was in high school and in chorus and we had sometimes these projects that we had to get up and sing in front of everybody. And I remember a girl saying, I'm not that girl. And I thought it was like such a great song. It's so cool. And I didn't know what it was from or anything. So this is when I had to like burn a CD. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pop that into my Jeep Cherokee, right? And I would listen to it and I loved it. And I obviously just kept playing like The Wizard and I and Defying Gravity over and over and over, popping blood vessels in my car. But I loved it. And so that's when I fell in love with just the music. And then I didn't get to see the show. Mm -hmm. But then when I did see the show, man, oh man, I cried from start to finish. Yeah. And I just was like, I need to do this. Like, this is yeah. an ultimate dream of mine was to play Alphaba and be in Wicked. I would go to the Wicked Lottery. Never won. 
But you know what? I still tried. I just loved it. I, I And every time I cried, I knew I had to bring tissues. Like I literally was like that crazy person just sobbing at all times. So who was your first Alphaba? The very first Alphaba that I saw was Eden Espinosa. Mm, wow. Yeah. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. And I believe Megan Hilty was my first Glinda. Yeah. I mean, what a starting cast. I know. Well, my favorite of all time, and that was before I was in it, was SJB. Sure. Mm-hmm. Thank you for saying that. So I have a fun story about it, too. So when I got on the Wicked tour the first time, uh-huh. everyone knew that I was like this like Wicked fanatic. Because also, I was 21. I was so young. And to them, they were like, look at this cute girl. Like, you know, she <laughs> loves this show, right? And yeah. so... We did Secret Santa my first you know, year. And by this point, I'm really new to the company at this point. The whole cast is there, right? And I opened it. And my Secret Santa got me a signed photo from Stephanie that said, To one Elfie to another. <laughs> and I ugly cried in front of this cast. Oh my God. Oh, that's so sweet. And it was the sweetest thing in the entire world. And my mother has it framed and it's at my house in Long Island. Oh my God. I love that. So then when you played Judy, did you kind of have a moment where you were like... I was like, I am her, right? (laughs) Stephanie's stay together, you know? Yeah, yeah. I love that. So then walk us through your audition process. How did that happen? My audition, I auditioned five times before getting into the show. Wow. Um, And it was all kind of sporadic. It wasn't like boom, boom, boom. Okay. So my first one was just like a general open call at Telsey. And of course, for me at the time, I was like, well, this isn't going to happen for a long time, but holy moly, that was cool. And then I actually got an appointment and audition for the show which then I was like, wait, this is really happening. <laughs> um, so I went back in and I auditioned and did all the alphabet stuff. And, and then the final audition I had was a dance call first, because in the ensemble, you have to get lifted and dance. And for me, I was thrilled because I grew up in dance world. So I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and, and so after the dance call, we had to go in and do the whole entire alphabet packet. And then I got the call the next day and they needed me to be on the road in like two weeks or something crazy. That's, yeah. And I obviously I've never like, what was me? I've never done anything yet. Like, and so I had no idea what to bring, what to pack. So that was your first big job was booking the Wicked Tour? Yes. That's incredible. Yeah. I graduated at, from AMDA in Mm -hmm. February and got the Wicked Tour in September, October. Okay. And got an autograph from Stephanie J. Block in December. (laughs) (laughs) December. (laughs) So then we did First National, Broadway, Second National. Is that the order? Mm -hmm. And then Broadway to like help out and then back to the First National. They just, they are full family and they just kind of call you and... Do you kind of love the idea that you can just be bopping in and out? I do. I do. I love it. Especially after I did it for so long already. Mm -hmm. So for me to like get a call that, hey, so-and-so, you know, is asking for a two-week vacation are you available? And I'm like, yeah. yeah. Come in, do it for two weeks, and then out I go. Dust it off, then put it back on the shelf. Yes. But she's on the shelf. She's on the shelf now. Is she on the shelf? Yeah, I was going to say, like, if they called you in the aftertimes after quarantine, would you go back? Oh, I, I don't know. I mean, I, maybe. Obviously, one never knows. She could be dusted off again. If she needed to. Exactly. 
Um, before we jump into what is this feeling? So we have a theory that any actress who conquers the beast that is Alphaba is either a Wizard and I Alphaba, a Defying Gravity Alphaba, or a No Good Deed Alphaba. Do you feel like you are most comfortable in any of those three? Yes. I think it changed sometimes, you know, it depends. But it was never No Good Deed. It will never be No Good Deed. And I never understood, like, I know those alphabets who are like, oh, no good deed was like my thing. And I'm like, oh, my. <laughs> Hell no. At that point, I am tired. My voice is like, sit down. And so for me, that was not it. I think for me, it was like between The Wizard and I and Defying Gravity, I would go back and forth. But I did think it was really cruel that The Wizard and I is the first thing that comes out of our mouth. You kind of knew how your show was going to go, to be honest. So after that, you're like, well, this is where we're at today. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like spend the whole beginning part of the song trying to like feel out if you have the ending? Yeah. I mean, I feel like there's just like no turning back. You're just shot out of the cannon and it's whether or not it's going to just be like, oh yeah, this is like, it feels good today. Or it was going to be like work. So in a situation where you're doing the ensemble of this show eight times a week and then on night six they're like hey you're going on as alphaba is that like exciting or is that like fuck i'm so tired and i don't want to do alphaba tonight it was more exciting for me because one i was younger and it was more of a you know something to look forward to and change you know because mm-hmm. when you're doing a certain thing eight times a week you start to feel like a robot a little times mm-hmm. you know sure Everything is so specific backstage too. Mm -hmm. So we get our wig on at a certain time. If we miss it, good luck. Like, you know, your (laughs) costume change. Everything is so choreographed backstage. So it felt like a nice change of pace for me. Do you feel like your ensemble track and Alphaba were equally as challenging? I mean, I'm sure they're challenging in different ways. I mean, definitely Alphaba hands down is the hardest thing in musical theater. I'll never forget, actually, it was in the early days of like going on as Jenna and Waitress. And Chris Fitzgerald, who's like the original Bach, Mm -hmm. is in our show. And he was like, all right, I have a question for you. Which one's harder? And I remember being like, uh, Alphaba. (laughs) (laughs) They're they're different in different ways, right? Like Jenna was like emotionally tiring and draining. And then like Wicked is just like vocals, vocal, 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 vocal. Mm-hmm. And in Broadway, you're running to all the trap doors. So you're yeah, like, yeah, literally, yeah. anytime you're not on food, you're literally running through the, the theater to get to certain doors. Yeah. <laughs> Nuts. Okay. So you've just finished The Wizard and I, you've striked your pose, the lights are down. What's going through your mind as you're like moving towards your mark for what is this feeling? Is what is this feeling kind of a rest for you or mm-hmm. is it still you got to kind of be on? I mean, it's definitely more of a rest. It's funny because as you guys named those three, I eventually got to the place of making it like bookmarks for me. So like I looked at instead of being like, man, I have 10 more songs to sing. I'd be like, I have two. You can get through those. Sure, sure. Because the rest of them are more conversational and fun and easier. Yeah. But no, going to that mark for what is this feeling? It was kind of either you were feeling good or like it's going to be a long show. 
you know? Yeah. I mean, I guess in certain ways, it, there's probably moments too, where it's like, if the end of the wizard and I didn't go well, it's like, you don't have time to get stuck on that because you're singing another song in literally 15 seconds. Exactly. It just keeps moving. You have no time to feel sorry for yourself at all until intermission. And even then you got to change the dress. You got to get the makeup on it. Exactly. You feel bad at home. <laughs> exactly. Or the shower after the show, you know? Cause Kevin and I were kind of talking about how, what is this feeling in some ways feels like the true start of the show because the first I would say 20 minutes or so is like exposition I want song and then we get into the main plot mm-hmm. yeah I agree I, I think because also you you haven't really gotten into the depths of these characters either yet right because mm-hmm. you know obviously they're setting it up like she's popular and this one's not but she has this big dream and she's got powers and you're like ooh. but what is this feeling I feel like sets up this whole entire relationship with the two of them and getting to know each other and the push and the pull and the you know yeah obviously everyone is on her side as they say and yeah 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 yeah. it's in the text i don't know if you know that but (laughs) that's so interesting because we've had other guests saying to us how lonely it is to be doing the show as alphaba and i was thinking like especially going from the ensemble into alphaba did you have that experience of like wait where'd all my friends go (laughs) like i'm not seeing everybody yeah it is kind of interesting because like when you are in the ensemble you have this community and this like you're backstage just being fools and you know talking and shooting shit and now when you're on you never see anyone and even when you see glinda it's on stage so it's not even like you're in the wings and you can like catch up with each other right so it is kind of interesting to go on especially when you go on for like a little bit of a time mm-hmm. and I, I would always like stop in the girls ensemble and be like what's happening tell me something i don't know anything anymore you know and it's been like three days um but yeah it can be very isolating to be alphaba for sure Do I remember correctly that you were the last cover to have her own set of costumes made? Yes. That is so cool. Mm -hmm. So they exist in that magical warehouse. It is the most coolest thing I've ever seen. And for a Wicked fanatic, obviously it's like this crazy experience because that's every person who's ever been in the show and everything is like perfectly in order. Will they put other people in costumes that were made for you? Yes. So do you know anyone who has worn your costumes? I would assume like maybe someone who went in my track after me or... Like right after. Yeah. Or even like now if like a cover needs a dress, that one is in the world somewhere. Wow. I hope that they're doing it proudly. Yeah. I hope it's bringing them joy. <laughs> Except at this point, it's been so long and they're like, who's this? It feels like a whole lifetime ago, which it kind of was. But... Yeah. Well, and you've done a you've done an entire Broadway run of another show since then so which is nuts you're kind of like a serial monogamist of theater it's like you have these like long-running relationships (laughs) yeah no it is kind of funny it's like I've been very lucky to be in long-running situations and I stick with them well so did you intend to stay with Waitress for the entirety of its run or is that kind of just how life happened yeah just kind of life happened and I just went with the journey There were times where I was going to be like, you know what? I'm going to walk away from this. And like, hopefully something happens. Right. But then I'm like, no, you're in your thirties and you have bills. So like, what, why, why? But towards the end, the amount of love from the fans and the gifts that they would come to the stage door for me and have, and I would just be like, (laughs) oh my gosh, I met my boyfriend in the show and he made me like the most beautiful and gift. And it has how many performances of Jenna. I was the second 
most besides Jesse. Uh, and then I got all these gifts from the like the fans at the end, and he was like, "So my gift looks like crap." <laughs> but some of these gifts were like, "Oh my goodness, it was amazing." I saw people were making like legitimate playbills for your Jenna. Or, and and they had what did they tell me at the stage where they had petitions going online because there was an arrow where we were like we need to show appreciation for Stephanie Tor. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I remember when they announced the London uh, production was opening. There was like a wave on like Twitter and Instagram of like Stephanie Torns for London waitress, and I was like, I'll retweet it, bitch. Send her over there. I could not. That was like one of those moments where I was like, oh. It was oh, like a wow. ravenous. It was like I had to take a screenshots because I was in like shock over how many people and yeah. some in mm-hmm. London going for this fight. Yeah. It was amazing. And has to feel so good too. It does. It does feel good because you know, a lot of you know times you put in work and then it's um you hope that it's being, you know, valued. So you kind of touched on this earlier, but Jenna versus Alphaba, Jenna was the easier time. Yes. Or we can split it vocally and acting wise too. I would. I think uh, I would be exhausted after a Jenna show just because of the emotional journey. And that Alphaba is just so vocally demanding because she's also just very, you know, attacky kind of, right? So it's it's always a constant forward with the voice instead of Jenna is just more subdued and more realistic as a person. Yeah. And well, Jenna, you kind of, vocally, at least you kind of build up to the end. Whereas, as we said before, it's like wicked straight out the gate. It's like, here's this green lady. She's going to yell at you for two hours. (laughs) Ah, Yeah, exactly. And also, you know, Sarah Bareilles doesn't write screamy pop. So Mm -hmm. the show is very her. Because I've always thought She Used to Be Mine is an interesting song because a beltress can really take it and like belt away or it could be mixed. And either way, it's really Mm -hmm. good. Mm -hmm. Did they give you direction on how you should sing the song? I mean, they kind of would in so many ways, but not like uh, telling people no or, you know, but Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. she definitely did not want you to be up in there trying to be like wailing. Yeah. And like adding riffs up to the rafters. Um, Quincy, do you think that our wizard and I defying gravity, no good deed theory also fits for Jenna? Mm, Yeah. Okay. So for Jenna, it would be what bacon can do. She used to be mine or everything changes. Very good, Quincy. (laughs) How would you categorize your Jenna? They always change. Well, everything changes. Everything (laughs) does. I always love She's Be Mine. Like that was a safety net for me. When we got to that, I was like, we're good. (laughs) Baking Can Do is deceivingly hard. Mm-hmm. what I first would be going on in like the first year I used to dread it which once again first thing out of the gate right. so I would be definitely stressing out being like well that was rough and then it moved to Everything Changes Everything Changes is my favorite Jenna song it's so good I know I remember the first time I went on and I asked Jesse Mueller I was like how do you sing that song in that bed sitting like that? I just like couldn't get like a breath support at all. Yeah. And so she told me, she was like, I know it takes a, you know, you got to find the right placement. And it was, I, after a while I'd start to like, when they give you the baby, I had to like, scoot scoot a little bit, open up that up. You know what I mean? And so then I did start to love that. 
I was thinking earlier about what bacon can do and the wizard and I, because making good was cut in Wicked for the wizard and I, and door number three was cut or rearranged to be what bacon can do. And I kind of feel like there's parallels because both making good and door number three, I think give more insight into the character. Mm-hmm. Whereas Wizard and I and What Baking Can Do maybe are better songs for like musical theater in the show. But I do really have a soft spot in my heart for door number three. It's my favorite. Me too. But it was a very different show at the, in the out of town. It was a lot darker with Earl more. And so that song fit and made more sense. Door number three was my favorite. Um, Such a good song. Yep, yep. It really is. She is just stupid, that one. So I feel like they definitely were bringing in a lot of Jennas, especially towards the end. It kind of got a little fast and furious. Were the new Jennas they were bringing in, I have to imagine they kind of would look to you for some guidance because you were had kind of been there the whole time. It, it was funny. A lot of them had to trail me because I would be on in between the girls. Oh, that's right. So it's kind of strange how like most of them were like, I learned the show from you or watching you. And so was it like intimidating at all when they got into like bigger names or whatever? Was it intimidating to kind of teach the show to them? For me, it was more of the stepping in when they have to call out was like the beast for me. Oh, sure. That was, I think, the hardest for me. Yeah. Did you feel like you got a lot of disappointment when you would go on? Oh, yeah. Sarah's first time coming into our show, she was so sick, but she always wanted to make sure she was there because she knew that people were paying good money for her. She called out at intermission. I'm going to say it was the worst experience in my whole entire life. At top of act two, I'm behind the scrim, okay, holding this pie. And it's like, ladies and gentlemen, the remainder of this performance, the role of Jenna will be played by <laughs> Stephanie Torrance. And it was like, <gasps> sugar. I mean, and so they were still like in a hubbub as it's starting. And I was like, I want to have sex with my guy. Like I, I was dying. And also like, I was so nervous because I could feel the what the. And then thankfully, I got to win him over. Yeah. And uh, it was like a night out. It started off horrible yeah. for me, <laughs> but uh, it ended pretty awesome. Is there anything that you think your time in Wicked taught you that prepared you better for your long run in Waitress? Oh, for sure. I say it all the time. I am grateful that Alpha was the first thing I ever encountered. One, as a leading lady, could you get any more of an epic leading lady role, right? But because it was so difficult, it kind of set you up that you're like, I can do anything. You know, I can get through another show and Jenna never left the stage either. So I, I'm waiting for the day that I understand what it's like to be a leading lady that, that gets to pee. Exactly. So, but overall, like I used to be like, Stephanie, you did alphabet eight times a week. Sometimes I think you're going to be okay today. I do. I'm so grateful for it. And I also, I learned the business and the professional aspects of being in a professional gig through that show. And I'm so (laughs) grateful for it because it really taught me hard work and kindness and just making sure everybody is valued, crew, hair, makeup, Mm -hmm. everyone. So I think that it was a really good place to start my career and my path with whatever comes Go ahead. Oh my God. This was so great. Stephanie, where can people find you online? Um, on my Instagram, 
Tornsy18, T-O-R-N-S-Y-1-8. I am on Twitter a little bit, which is Stephanie Torns. But yeah, I'm definitely more of an Instagram gal. Cute. Well, we will send everybody there. Stephanie, thank you so much. Thank you, guys. I had so much fun. This was so great. All right. Bye. Thank you. Bye. I didn't tell this story in the beginning, and I'm glad I didn't tell it during the thing because maybe Stephanie will hear it when she listens. Okay. One of my most treasured memories of my whole life uh-huh. is due to Stephanie Torns because I was trying to see her in the show the last time she went into the Broadway company and Stephanie woke up from her between show nap and came mm-hmm. out and played the lottery with me. Then neither of us won. And then she was like, okay, well, since you didn't win, do you want to come backstage? So then she took me backstage. She like showed me everything. Then this bitch took me onto the stage. They were doing a speed through of the light cues. <gasps> And so I got to stand on stage at the Gershwin and see the entire show in fast forward from the point of view of the stage. Which I mean. I mean, I think about it all the time. It was, it's honestly one of the best moments of my whole life. That's incredible. It's just crazy that her first big job was Wicked Understudying Alphaba. That to me is just like a crazy whirlwind experience. To be 21 and someone says to you like hey, you're going to go on for Alphaba once in a while. At 21, I could barely tie my shoes. And like someone is handing you this behemoth to carry the show. And it's a show that you've been like gushing over for years. And I I mean, it's wild. I don't know how. I I love every single Alphaba story. No, I loved that. I think it was kind of interesting to hear somebody say the words of how like the way the show is built, you don't have time to think about what you just did. You just have to like keep going with the show and you think about it at the end, which I'm mm-hmm. sure is like in some ways probably extremely frustrating, but it's also probably kind of nice too. I was going to say like psychologically, at least that has to be good because you don't have time to like stress about like, oh, that wasn't, I botched that. No, that wasn't good. Right. I think that must be like a really Zen mm-hmm. place once you can kind of settle into it of like those doors open at the back of the clock, you start the show and it's like, see you at the trap door, baby. I'll check in with you later. Well, it's cool. It, it almost forces you to be present in the moment you know yeah it's probably nice which sounds exhausting also though like oh god (laughs) i think it's time for kevin's glinda corner okay so since today we were talking about what is this feeling i decided to reflect a little bit on galinda's role in what is this feeling i was thinking about it and this is really kind of going back to what you were saying about like this being when the plot really gets started Mm -hmm. is this song also kind of establishes her as a bully no yeah i was thinking glinda is mean also i would just like to point out going back to my original point about glinda's vocal journey is that this song is a prime example of the way that the role of glinda uses its soprano register as a tactic Okay, elaborate on that one. So it's like any Galinda, no matter what her voice type is, she's going to have to sing differently at two points in the song than when she has to sing the rest of the song. So she like flips into that kind of like upper register soprano. And the the time we hear that previously is when she rolls in on the luggage. Oh. So you're like, oh, so this upper register is phony. And then you're like, oh, but wait, she was just using that upper register to address the citizens of Oz. Was that phony? Kevin. Yeah. I have never looked at it that way or even realized that. 
I mean, look at you, Kevin, teaching me new things every day. It's almost like I spent thousands and thousands of dollars at school learning how to analyze a musical theater character. <laughs> look at you putting that BFA to use. Finally using it. I mean, Kevin's Glinda Corner. Every day you learn something new. Well, this has been another thrillifying episode of Sentimental Men. I had so much fun, Kevin, and we'll catch you guys next week. Yeah, we'll talk to you next week. Bye. You've been listening to Sentimental Men. This episode was produced, edited, and hosted by Quincy Brown and Kevin Bianchi. Thanks to Julia DeMarzo for our thrillifying artwork. And thanks to you for tuning in. You can reach us at sentimentalmenpod at gmail.com or on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at sentmenpod. That's S-E-N-T-M-E-N-P-O-D. Till next time, I'm Quincy. And I'm Kevin. I have a secret theory that Hillary Clinton is a Tony voter. That'd be cute. I feel like she sees everything. She sees everything. And if she's not, she should be.